return to Two Girls, One Podcast, the World Wide Web's weekly audio transmission, beloved by every man, woman, and child throughout the known internet, and even the unknown internet. This week's thrilling episode asks and finally answers the most important question of our time. What's really going on up there in Canada? And now, here are the internet explorers whose browser histories would make even the loneliest incel blush. Alison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. And I'm Lindsay. Welcome to Two Girls One Podcast. I still pause because I'm like waiting for Jen to introduce it. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's me now. Yeah, uh, and you've R. said R. that P. before. And, and I, I haven't oh, learned. She's still here. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Next week I'm gonna startle you by doing it. Yeah, you just dive in there, girl. <laughs> just get it, you know? <laughs> oh, how y'all doing? Lindsay, you've had a you've had a rough two weeks, I think. <laughs> Yeah, truly. It was three weeks, but it feels like an eternity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and not recommend anybody work with very rich teenagers ever, <laughs> but especially not after they've been locked up inside their own homes with their families who probably don't like them because they're horrible for a year and a half. Um, just I'm not going to recommend it. Because then uh, the 15 sweet kids you have are drowned out by the 100 monsters. What were the ages? Mostly 15 to 17-year-olds. I mean, those are horrible ages. Here's the thing. I don't want babies, but I would like an adult kid. Like, when I'm 60, I want a 25-year-old. Better get on it. No, I can't wait to have something small that can't run or say full words that I can just look at and think about how sweet it is and just occasionally clean up its puke. Occasionally, Matthew, educate Lindsay on the occasion. It's less about the poop and the puke. It's more about uh, it doesn't say anything, but it sure does cry at 4 a.m. all (sighs) the time. You know, that's the one piece you're missing there. So I cried at 4 a.m. today. (laughs) (laughs) Real facts. You can communicate your needs. (laughs) Oh, man. Having babies sounds so hard that it's actually wild to me how many people do it. <laughs> like, it's not a minority. Yeah, good point. That's isn't. Yeah, that's quite interesting when you unpack that. Yeah. Well, I just yeah. want to see how strong I am. Like, I think letting a human person explode from your body is the <laughs> most difficult thing anyone can do. And I want to be a part of that club. No, nah, I want to mm-hmm. be weak. You can do it. Do it. You'd be weak. Yeah. (laughs) Every single man on the planet is just as weak as you, Allie. It's fine. (laughs) I know. The problem is all these men want babies. It's such a problem in my dating life. You're so wrong. We've already had this fight. I know. Everybody I date doesn't want any more babies. <laughs> and everybody know. you date wants all the babies. We just don't okay, do it right. Let's you gotta, switch you profiles. Trade. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I show up. They're expecting a little black girl. I show up and I'm like, look, I know you wanted this little black girl, but like you definitely prefer me. You just don't know it yet. And then like all of my guys, you'll show up on the date and I'll be like, trust me. Cause like we're both pretty loud and fun. Like it's fine. You know what I mean? And but we're, we're both just like attracting the Jewish. 
Yeah, no, you're honestly, you're like the best honorary Jew I know. You can't, you Thank celebrated you. Uh, Hanukkah with me and yeah, you did a great I did. job. I believe you know the prayers I, as well. Yes, 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 <laughs> I do. <laughs> so it's fine. And also, I don't give a fuck if the dude's Jewish. So whatever. See? You know what I mean? Exactly. And all I've wanted since the seventh grade was a nice Jewish boy. I know. I know. Yeah. And I want well, to find one for you. Listen, look, Thanks. I was going to hold this later. We have not even introduced the topic of the show, but oh. uh, there's there's something to discuss here. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you both. Put out the call. Oh my God, for, no. Uh, some, oh my some God. dates. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, look, Lindsay, you're still new here, so give it give it a few weeks. But Allie has a response. Oh my uh, this God. This is from yes. Nick. Yes. I'm okay? dying. Nick has emailed in with pictures oh that I will send to you. Oh my God. Oh my God. Nick says in his email, Allie started dating men who are bald during quarantine. You said this on a previous episode. <laughs> And as you can see, I am a perfect fit. And Nick sends pictures, which I'll forward to you. Uh, Nick says, I'm a computer nerd who loves the outdoors, 3D printing, riding motorcycles, parentheses. That sounds adventurous. That was me inserting that. Uh, And listening to podcasts. 2G1P is my favorite podcast. No joke. You guys rock. I've listened to every episode. I work as a security guard supervisor in northern Kentucky. And we'll, we'll discuss, you know, whether or not Allie's going to move there. Uh, no, no fancy LinkedIn profile will be attached. I don't have any kids and don't plan to have any oh, in the Allie's future. Oh, moving um, to Kentucky, baby. <laughs> you beautiful here. I live in Kentucky. Wait, uh, there are some really me, nice okay. camping spots in Kentucky. I'll finish. And I'll finish. Okay. And oh, it's still going. It's still going. There's okay. more. There's more. Allie, hit me up for a good time. If you're ever near Cincinnati, Ohio, I'm not oh. sure how Kentucky and Ohio connect. You know, connect, that, but... part of the place, that part of the country is so close together, it's really weird. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, We're Nick says, so I'm down. We're like, where's Ohio and Kentucky near each other? I'm down for Zoom dates to start off. Travel isn't cheap, but I'd come out to LA to meet you for sure. Whether you're interested or not, you can use this email for podcast content. <gasps> Check. Oh Thank God. you, Nick. Uh, not quite <laughs> up to the 150 word minimum, but that was probably a joke. Oh, you had said write 150 words minimum, which Nick absolutely did. So, uh, Oh my God. Nick, if nothing else, you're cool as fuck for doing that. <laughs> yeah. And also, Nick, I'm sorry that Matt and Allie don't know where the fuck Kentucky is, which is right <laughs> next to Ohio. Okay. And Cincinnati's right. probably quite close to wherever in northern Kentucky you live. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Not that we even go to Cincinnati, though. I'm so sorry, Nick. You know what, though? But why Cincinnati? Because I actually have a friend who, in the pandemic, moved to Louisville, and she says mm. it's like Ooh. a fucking hidden gem, and she it loves is. it. I went to Louisville like not too long ago for a wedding and you know I think it's just that Cincinnati is right on the border of northern Kentucky wherever he lives and Louisville is on the other side of northern right, Kentucky right, from right. Him. but Lu- I'd like to go to Louisville <laughs> Yeah. All right. But I also, I'm sure you know, Nick is open actually, to moving. I hear good things about Cincinnati too. And I wanted, you know, especially the comedy scene. I could hit up some clubs oh, on the way. But okay. um, I think that's awesome that Nick did that. The other thing that's funny is someone who's listened to every episode actually kind of does know me quite well. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wow, yeah. you know, you might know more about me than I do because I have Yeah, you'd be starting yeah, if, if you were to start a friendship or relationship with a listener. He would just that have to give me speeches because I'm like, you very already know. asymmetrical. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, just be like, start from birth. What happened? Interesting. Well, <laughs> you know? okay, does that is that good or bad for for you? Like, is that does that save you time or something? Like, what do you think about that? Who knows? Who knows, Matt? But I can <laughs> tell you that I don't want to swipe anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's send, let's see and those pics, Matt. Send those pics over. All right, I'm going to send the them over. swiping might be look, done. I don't want to leave um, Lindsay out in the cold, so yeah. we do have uh, a yes. message for her. It yeah, is not dating up. related, I don't think, oh, but okay. uh, it is a voicemail. Here, here we go. Stand by. Hello, Allie, Matt, and our beautiful new co-host, Lindsay. Um, I'm Andrea. I'm calling from Philly. I'm a long, 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 long time listener, and let me tell you, Lindsay, I was very nervous. <laughs> about this whole transition thing. <laughs> but you are so lovely. I'm loving every yes. second that you've joined. Um, I'm so glad to see how well you're fitting into the fold and like the groove of the show. Um, and I just wanted to tell you that. And yeah, I am taking long drives an hour and a half both ways into New York for a show that I'm doing um, about John Lawrence, the revolutionist, and the lens of slavery and statues of Confederate soldiers and all that really fun. <laughs> um, so I got a lot of time to listen to podcasts, and I am so, so happy to have you with 2G1P. Matt and Allie, I miss you guys. I'm so glad to have so many episodes to listen to. It's been a while, <laughs> but now I'm back listening. Um, yeah, y'all are great. Oh. Keep doing your work. This was way better than a dating situation. I know that, that was <laughs> my so heart sweet. is so full. I know. Oh remember when you were crying at four AM and now this? Like what a day. Uh, truly it, it has spanned it has spanned the gamut. Is that how it's said? I can't speak. Yep. I'm delusional. I got you. That was no, that, that was, was the best voicemail I've ever received. It was so sweet, so sweet, yeah. so lovely, and so good to hear. Because, of course, I know you're great, but we want the listeners to think so as well. <laughs> also, I want to go see that show in New York. And if we're moving to any city not on a coast, let's go to Philly because that place is badass. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, new, the new world is work from anywhere, so that's that. Well, I mean, if we're actually working from anywhere, let's, like, choose Bali or something. But, you know, Philly's yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah. down. I'm down. You know, we'll go to Louisville. We'll go to Bali. Whatever. We'll go to Philly. We'll do everything. That's uh, a shirt. Yeah, That's yeah. our shirt. The merch that we don't have that I'm always pushing is going to say Louisville to Bali to Philly. <laughs> Actually, I did notice that in one of our shared docs, you started writing merch quotes and I was into it. <laughs> Yeah, oh, this, all right, let's, uh, let's explore that. Why uh, not? I have some trivia, but we should say what the heck we're talking about today. Yeah, what's, what's oh my God, we haven't yes. talked about it yet. All right, we've covered a lot of porn, porn. on this. Yep, there you go. A lot of porn, a <laughs> lot of fetishes. The internet is for porn. Um, and so today's conversation, we're really looking forward to it. This is with a professor of women's studies at the University of Calgary who has written extensively about porn on the internet. She has a book that I believe is called Pornography. Uh, she also this month wrote an article called Eradicating Sexual Exploitation in Porn Should Not Be at the Expense of Sex Workers. And so we're just really excited to get the kind of bird's eye view at how the internet has made porn 
flourish and what that means for women because there's an element that's so empowering and an element that is is, is dangerous. Is expl- yeah, exactly. So we're interested yeah. to talk to her about like what are those the, all those gray areas and you know what is her take. So I know that was kind of a convoluted way to introduce no, it. No. no, Professor Rebecca Sullivan. You just crystallized uh, like m- a month's worth of discussion on this. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> Seriously, it was great. Great. Yeah, it's something we've been discussing for a while. So I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about it. We got to get to our interview, but I do have some very quick trivia for you, okay. and I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, today's topic is about sex work, and uh, I want to bring you back in time to a, a little period that I, I like to call the Middle Ages, uh, <gasps> medieval times, not the restaurant, but the actual time period in Europe, in England, where streets were often named for whatever occupational activity <gasps> you would find there. So Market Street, of course, is where the market <laughs> was. Mill Lane is where the mill was. Fish Street Hill is where you bought fish. And the London Road, you guessed it, that's the road you want to get on if you want to get to London. <laughs> so, what was the common medieval name in English towns? And I'm just not I'm not saying London. I'm saying every English town or many of them all had similar street names. What is the street where sex workers plied their trade in the Middle Ages? I have 3 choices for you. Can we guess before you give us the choices? Oh, mm, it's dangerous. You can. No. Okay. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. Okay. I want to okay. win. Okay. <laughs> A. Tallywhacker Street. Oh, please let that be true. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's more. B. <laughs> Wanker's Alley. Nah, mm-hmm. that seems mm-hmm. modern. Okay. Or C. Grope Cunt Lane. <gasps> no. Oh, no. What? No. It's that one for sure. That's horrifying. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, I wanted it to be Hussy Road. Ooh. Yeah, all of these were surprising. I'm going with okay. A. Okay. Okay. What a. was A again? Tallywhacker. I mean, that's the least upsetting one. So, like, <laughs> what the hell? Going around being like, hey, are you walking over to Wankers? Well, you know, it's that time of day. <laughs> um, oh, oh, oh. I'm going to go with Wankers anyway. Okay. okay. We will find out the correct name of medieval streets for sex workers after this commercial break. Okay, everyone, this is the time where we thank all those awesome listeners who support us at the $10 or more level. If you like this podcast and you like me, I knew, show us how much you like us by giving us money, please, and thank you. Okay, we've begged enough. Now we're just going to thank everyone. Um, Yes, support us on our Patreon, and the people that do right now are the sexy following people. Chris Harrison, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Ooh, Melissa Elliott, James Dozier, Deborah Duber Pants, Kathy Phillips, William, who's not Matt- sexy. <laughs> oh, William! Yeah. Matthew Scott, Wesley Cordell. Ooh, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> you can also hear us 
say your names out loud. If you visit patreon.com slash 2G1P and donate at the $10 or more level. Thank you. All right, Lindsay, question. If you had to create a street that was only for sex work, what would you call it? My happy place. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's cute. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cute. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I would call it Dingle Dingle. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Who has and nope. woo woo? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, what if you just call it like an onomatopoeia? Like the streets just called like. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, ah, have you been to Alley? Like, I don't know. Maybe. Or like. <laughs> Wow. That's the name yes. of the street. That's yeah, the name I'm of the street. I'm going to head over to neighborhood. <laughs> God. Get some ASMR up in here. Uh, yeah, this is uh, it's very triggering for a lot yeah. of listeners here. <laughs> yeah, and if you're triggered, you can support us on patreon.com slash 2G1B. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What was the name of a very common English street? This is throughout Britannia, any hamlet or town or city would have a mill road, would have a fish street. What was the prostitution? What was the sex worker street? Was it A, Tallywhacker Street? Allie chose that one. Mm-hmm, B, mm-hmm. Wanker's Alley. That was Lindsay's choice. Nobody chose Grope Cunt Lane. Please, please, please don't Can't let that say be why. it. <laughs> and and just just I mean I know you know this, but like one of these answers is correct. The other two I made up. So just making sure you're no one is gonna choose Grope Cunt Lane. Mm, no, it's definitely no. Tallywhackers. No. I just like to pick something that Allie didn't pick. That's good. Yes. You gotta diversify. Yeah. No, that's the mm-hmm. right strategy. The correct answer is mm-hmm. C. Grope Shut cunt your lane. whole mouth. No. <laughs> Shut no. your whole No. No. That's no. not. No, no talking from Matthew. No. It's real. No. Ew. Ew. No. Ew. No. Ew. And Ew. then we wonder Ew. why misogyny still exists. Like the instructions Truly. were literally grope <laughs> cunt. And then we have a president grabbing by the pussy like centuries exactly. later. It's like there's it's no <laughs> evolution whatsoever. No, it's a direct line. Are, are you oh fucking my God. kidding me? You know what? We don't give no. Trump enough credit. I bet he did his research into uh, ancient brothels. That's probably what it was. He was Allie, just referencing the ancient because, Greeks. <laughs> that's mean because you know he can't read. <laughs> what time frame was this, Matt? That they were. This in, is the Middle the Ages. Middle ages. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you were talking Medieval. about, you know, the twelve gotcha. hundreds until okay. probably the fifteens, the sixteens, maybe. Grope cunt. Are was you that, but, but old English? Was it not like how is it written? How is it spelled? I need Variations spell. include. This is from Wikipedia. The uh, uh, I don't uh, the toponym, toponymy. I guess that's the study of. Words or whatever. Do we need or the, to Snopes the, this shit? It, no, it's all here. No, with I trust Matt as our only researcher. I okay. trust him. <laughs> grope, grope, kunte, grope, grope, kunta, leni. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's all very similar Actually, those stuff. Sound nicer. It's just because those sound nicer. It's just the, because I like kunta. I'm a little kunta. kunta. <laughs> so these are streets that have been around since the Middle Ages. They're like these streets probably still exist, but Wikipedia is saying they have been. Bowderized, bowderized, which basically means censored. So in the city of York, for example, for example, Grape Cunt Lane, a real street, mm-hmm. is now named Grape Lane. 
Oh, wow. That's interesting to research like, the history someone... of the street that you live on, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All because someone didn't know how to spell grope. <laughs> they spelled it great. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I really enjoyed this trivia. I'm, I'm pleased <laughs> to know that. Yeah, that was the best one. I'm not even sad I got it wrong. Then I have done my job Let's talk a little bit more about how Matt chose the other options that weren't real Matt, do you care to explain yourself? Uh, Look, I can't top Grope Cunt Lane So I just googled uh, (laughs) British slang for penis and made up the rest Thank you All right, I think it's time for our guest I'm so excited to welcome our guest Dr. Rebecca Sullivan, who is a professor in gender and sexuality studies at the University of Calgary. And that's not all you do. You do a lot of cool and interesting stuff. Dr. (laughs) Sullivan, could you please tell us whatever you'd like to jump us into the plethora of things you study? Well, thanks so much. It's a real pleasure to be here with you both. So yes, I'm a university professor at the University of Calgary, which is in Calgary on the other side of the mountains from Vancouver. So Americans always know where Vancouver is. You've got to climb the mountains to get to me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm ready and willing to climb a mountain for you. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Uh, I know you haven't really said anything yet, but I just want to know, did you get into studying porn because it's like so cold up there that you just need to be inside? It's a way to stay warm. Yeah. Yeah. Survival mechanism, really. You know, I will tell you, honestly, I got into studying porn. At the time in Canada, there weren't a lot of people studying porn, and those who were were usually doing it from a queer studies perspective. Like, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Tom Waugh, who really is the founder of porn studies here in Canada, doing amazing work around queer pornography and uh, queer erotics. But on the feminist side, you know... <laughs> Things get very complicated (laughs) because we have this long history pulling a lot from what happened in the United States in the the 1970s and 80s, where feminist movements were quite distrustful of pornography. And there were a lot of good reasons for that. Not ones that held the test of time and not ones that justified some rather unholy alliances with anti-queer and anti-feminist movements, uh, social conservative and religious conservative movements, and with criminalization and carceralism. And the more that I became interested in pornography, the more I realized how weak our sexual politics were at that particular moment in feminist organizing and how this was a real breaking point for Mm. the movement and that we were losing ground. Mm. And we certainly see that today again across North America and Canada and the United States. We see it with FOSTA-SESTA down in the States. We have our own little versions of that effort Mm -hmm. up here in Canada. And we we have a lot of panic And when we have porn panic, then we have sex panic. And when we have sex panic, we're not having the conversations we need to have about right to pleasure, about healthy, self-determined versions of consent, questioning and adventurousness and experimentation. You know, honestly, I think a lot of us are familiar with a lot of the ways that the internet can be a dangerous space for pornography. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the ways that we can maybe participate in pornography 
on the internet that help it go in a more safe, more positive, more inclusive direction? Pay for it. Mm. So easy. Mm-hmm. Pay mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. You're paying for Disney? Are we all paying to watch Loki? I'm paying to watch Loki. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I, to piggyback off of that, yeah. what kind of payment, right? Because then you have things where, like, I'm a little bit jumping ahead, but, you know, the, the bathtub streams on Twitch paying per click versus, like, a paywall, you know, and when advertisers get involved, that's another can of worms. So, yeah, we've already, like, d- we just dove right into the deep end, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now um, let's start treading yeah, a bit of water just, and going, okay, where's the shore? All right. I, I love yeah. that, Allie. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, pay for it. Deep end, but pay whom and pay how. And that opens up, as you said, a whole can of worms. As much as you can, as best as you can, you pay as close to the creative personnel, to the performers and the producers as you can. So go to the studios, go to the performer's website, do your research, go find them and find out how they want to be paid. Go to their Twitter or their Instagram, which also opens up a whole mess because of course, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and I don't know what else is out there. They built their brands on sex work. And then the first thing they do is make it next to impossible for self-determined consensual sex workers <laughs> to stay on those platforms. They go into porn panic, sex panic, and they start kicking them off. Like Tumblr? Like yeah. Tumblr. Craigslist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And one of the ways that one of the reasons why I found beginning the conversation with porn was so helpful is because it's such a shortcut. People who claim to have all kinds of progressive ideas around sexuality and sexual rights, as soon as it's porn, they start clutching the pearls. Mm -hmm. And I say porn is a really great litmus test for us to understand consent because quite frankly, it was porn who helped invent the parameters of consent. Mm. Yeah. I, I remember I went to, um, you can get a tour of the armory in San Francisco. Yeah. And something they said that was so interesting that about consent that came from porn is that consent only counts essentially before the scene begins. So if you change your mind in the middle of the scene, that, that doesn't count, which I thought was so interesting, right? Because of course, when you're like carried away, you're like, yeah. I guess we could do this thing that I said no to earlier, which I, which I think is something that's like still not really talked about in a mainstream way, but it's very interesting. Yeah. And I think uh, there have been some controversies with the ways in which the armory and kink.com and of course they're no longer or differently incorporated yeah. at this point, what was happening in action. And that's, I mean, it's not okay that they were violating their own standards of consent. You know, performers noted that they weren't getting paid until they had done the, gosh, that was fun interview. And that's not okay. Cause anytime there's mm-hmm. this mild, any kind of coercion, it gets problematic. Yeah. yeah. But it was a work in progress. I don't want to be sounding like I'm excusing any violations here. I'm definitely not. But I'm saying it was a work in progress to determine, wait a minute, we thought this system of consent would work, but it doesn't really. We've got to fine tune it. We've got to change it. And it always has to be performer centered and worker centered. You can't change consent in the middle of the scene unless you're changing it to a no, in which case you certainly can. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that came from porn. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we don't give porn a lot of credit that way. So anyway, going back to your original question, it's like, how Mm -hmm. do we know? You know, if you are paying the performer as directly as you possibly can. And that Mm. is a particular innovation, a particular possibility in pornography, right? Like I can't pay Tom Hiddleston to do Loki for me. (laughs) I'm paying Disney. Mm. But in porn, I can decide, okay, this is my favorite performer. I bet you they've got a website. I bet you they've got some social media accounts. I will go find them. And I'll go find out what affiliates they're with because a lot of ethical porn producers work together and help promote the these ethical conceptual porn spaces so they'll say hey if you love my stuff you can get it through this studio or this streaming company go here go here go here so it doesn't take too much to find it yeah mm-hmm. in that sense it seems like i mean Allie would know better than me since she tried to have an only fans page but it no, seems I have like- an only fans i have an only fans oh it got it got <laughs> approved <laughs> did it get approved yeah. oh yeah 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 it got approved it got approved have okay. i posted not really but okay. it got approved <laughs> have your cake and feet it too go on oh, yeah. excellent i'm so proud of you um thank only you fan seems to be like a, a, a pretty direct to consumer, a pretty direct pipeline between performer and consumer. But it also seems extremely problematic in the way that they promote and all that kind of stuff seems to be specifically geared towards a younger crowd. Yeah. I mean, anybody of age could set up an OnlyFans account. Anybody 18 years or older can answer an ad in Craigslist. And yeah, an OnlyFans is changing a lot of its um, contracts to the detriment of the performers again. Mm. So we always have to be vigilant. Yeah. So I think, you know, you're asking, you know, how do you, I mean, we can talk about, Hey, isn't this great if it's consensual and if it's self-determined, if it's non-coerced and if it's adult? well, also recognizing that adult means 18 in a lot of places, you know, you're not allowed to get a drink at that age, right? You've barely finished high school. It is adult, but it's still, it's moving along. Mm -hmm. I mean, your brain isn't fully formed yet. Like, I mean, you can't rent a car in every country. I feel like you, you, to be a full adult, you've got to be able to rent a car in every country and that's 25. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And have a driver's license. Before you're 25, yeah. you're, you're just an adult in training. You're, you're a training wheels adult until you can get real wheels. Yeah. yeah. And let's be honest, we've met 25-year-olds and, you know, we might even say at 35, you know. Or <laughs> I was just going to say I met 35-year-olds, but they're fucking children, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, I, I'm almost 55 and I don't know, am I adult, you know? <laughs> so, okay. So, yes. So, we look at this and we see, okay, how do we talk to people entering into this, you know, first phase of honest to goodness adulthood on your own, you got to wash your own laundry, and you can make this decision on your own. But are you making the decision fully and comprehensively? And of course, this applies to the whole internet, right? Let's not have a conversation about all the mistakes we made from 18 to 25 (laughs) that weren't captured. 
Oh, Thank I'm, God. Right? I'm so glad to be just yeah. before the age where literally everyone was filming their whole lives. Exactly. Right. Yep. And there's lots of mistakes people make, but the problems with making sexual mistakes on the internet is the stigma. Mm-hmm. And that is something that we need to talk about. And rather than try and teach, I'll say teenagers, teach high schoolers, you know, oh, you know, be careful because, you know, don't do anything that you would regret and might harm your chances at getting uh, getting married or something or getting a job <laughs> because you were a dirty, dirty slut when you were 18. Rather than framing it that way, which is, of course, how we frame mm-hmm. it all the time, we frame it as it is possible to do this safely, ethically, consensually, respectfully for yourself and everyone around you. But it is also important that you understand how stigma works and that we are trying to dismantle it. But it's still there. Yeah, we're not we're not dismantling. It's not dismantled yet. We're not there yet. The ethical companies will say to the younger uh, performers who are coming out of small town, whatever, thinking this is my ticket to the big leagues. It's like, it's not your ticket to the big leagues. There isn't a lot of money in this. And are you ready for your parents to find out? Because if the answer is no, they mustn't ever find out. You can't do it. You know, I recommend you don't ever do anything where there are significant repercussions if people you love find out. What's really upsetting, I think, is that, you know, obviously we live in a patriarchal society and a lot of young people in general, men and women, actually feel like this is a great way for them to get attention from the type of people they want attention from. Older people, people with money, that kind of thing. And they like feel like this is all they have to offer. But then there's a lot of people, not just young people, people in general, but often older than you know 18, who are making this choice because it's something that they want to do and they feel empowered. How do we tell one group of people like, hey, we don't know if you're making a great choice or what are the questions we can get people to ask beyond like, will you be sad if your parents find out, which is a great one. It's like number one, like this is how you know if you're ready to do this for yourself or not. But like, what are some other questions we can use or we can examine as consumers to see if we're watching something fully ethical or not? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there, Sorry. Lindsay. Uh, so thanks so much. No, that's that's great. Yeah, no, that was great. Because <laughs> I, I loved the framing of educating about the stigma, right? So like theoretically, anyone can do it anytime. But they need to understand the stigma. Yeah. So Alan McKee, who is my uh, co-author for a book on pornography called Pornography, Structures, Agency, and Performance. Alan has done a lot of work around sex ed, real sex ed, sex ed that teens will actually pay attention (laughs) to. And among the uh, toolkits are these ideas of adopting the consent forms in sex work or in a BDSM contract and giving them to teenagers so that they can have kind of a yes, no, maybe list in their own heads, thinking about where they are at in their own lives. And I think that can be really helpful as people mature into their sexuality. And it's very complicated because we're talking about how do we hand individuals the tools to navigate a social 
minefield. And I'm often saying, well, we got to detonate the social minefield. We have to get rid of the social minefield, mm. but we're not going to right away. So mm -hmm. we need to give youth this opportunity to say, porn isn't all good. Porn isn't all bad. Might not be the right job for you. It's certainly not the e easy money. This is, of course, you know, always this idea that you know, people in porn won't tell you it's easy money. I don't know why people still think it's easy money. <laughs> well, I think it's because you need little training, you know? Or it's if like they think it's a break. Well, you need a ton of training. <laughs> it's hard work. Oh, I know. I've had sex before, Rebecca. To have sex on camera. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my parents. But yeah, I've never had sex on camera. So you can tell my parents that. I know. I love the idea of just like... I just love the idea of like, oh, we need to get that shot again. Dude, we got to do the whole gangbang over. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like, just think about how many selfies you take before you find the one to post on your Instagram. And now imagine that <laughs> selfie's your asshole. Exactly. Yeah, I got you. I got you. All right. Yeah, myself, so, my yeah. asshole only looks good with a filter. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, we don't have, we don't have sex ed that talks about you know, right to pleasure, how to do sex safely and consensually, how to put on a condom, how to have anal sex. We don't have any of these conversations. And so, yes, that's the social minefield. But given that we don't have any of these conversations, how can one person, say a teacher, a parent, a whatever, you know, an adult faced with someone coming into adulthood who wants to do this, or who might want to do this? How do we have that one-on-one -on -one conversation? Well, definitely not, oh my God, like what will your parents say, <laughs> right? But you could say, okay, why do you want to do it? You know, you need money for university and there are benefits to gig economy work. You're broke, you just need money. Okay, that's fair too. And you know, minimum wage won't cut it and you won't get your hours or you're gonna get split shifts of early morning and late night because the whole work culture is broken, period. You know, there can be all kinds of reasons. Why do you want to do this? If the answer from your average 18 year old is, to say, because I want to be a star and I want to do, you know, and I want to break free and like smash stereotypes and prove that I'm a sexually liberated woman. It's like, uh-huh. Okay, hold on that. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Instead of working in porn, let's talk about why do you need that? Yeah. Right. And I think something I'm very interested in that is related to that is that I feel like the internet overall glamorizes youth and sexuality in a lot of ways, which I then worry has ripple effects kind of across the feminist spectrum where women are then valued for their sexuality. And, and an example, of course, is something um, you and I talked about before this call, but, you know, the med bikini scandal, which I'd love to get into. Like, I, I worry that there's like, I don't know, it's like, what are all these lines where we teach people the proper way to embrace their sexuality, but then the environment is still sexualizing women? Yeah, but it's getting to the heart of it again, where... We leap over all of these really, really important and crucial conversations to go, ah, poor! 
hard, <laughs> right? Yeah. And in fact, you know, what you're saying is, hmm, Instagram, hmm, YouTube, hmm, maybe our youth are getting their information about their sexuality from resources that are built around algorithms and clickbait. <laughs> And it's so easy to start going down a rabbit hole. And next thing you know, it's like, I can do this. And I want to be clear because I don't want to go into a media panic. We're always mm -hmm. about, oh, and the media is luring our children. It's like, you know what's happening that sends these youth to YouTube or wherever is parents who won't talk to them, teachers who won't tell them what they need to know, pastors, community leaders, coaches, they keep hearing don't do it. You'll regret every moment of your life until you are married with at least two children <laughs> in a job you hate at 35. Then you're an adult. You know? <laughs> and we just keep hearing this, right? It's so wild how archaic the conversations around sex are when you really outline it. Yeah. That it's like, it's just not discussed. No, yeah. like in grade, in grade six here in Alberta, in grade six, kids are starting to learn about at school. Hopefully they know before then, but they start to learn the ins and outs of reproduction because every 10 year old is thinking about whether or not now is a good time to start a family, right? And, <laughs> you know what 10 year olds are doing? They're masturbating. At 10? Are they? Now I feel like an old or lady. Or they're just like, shh. They're just like showing each other their stuff. They're like, ooh, I started growing hair down here. Did you? Yeah, but nobody's yeah. talking to them about any of that. So before we get into, and then the big bad media comes along and tells them things that we've been working our whole lives to prevent them from ever hearing about until it's too late. Maybe we should talk to them first. Yeah. And, and kids are curious. They're curious about everything. So obviously they're going to be curious about their own bodies, about each other's bodies. And everybody who's so anti-talking about it's too early for them. If they're asking questions about it, like it's not too early. Just talk to them and talk to them, meet them where they are. You know what I mean? But like, then they go on to... They find someone willing to talk to them about it. And it's the internet. <laughs> and there are some fantastic sex educators and sex rights activists and trained professionals trying to reach out through social media. Mm -hmm. But then there's not. There is no gateway. There is no filter. And we know this. We know that the algorithms are built on clickbait. Mm -hmm. So while you, know, you might send a kid to respected and recognized sex counselor, adolescent counselor who has a YouTube channel, mm -hmm. who, we, who is going to be advertising? Yeah. Or, you know, what's going to be the autoplay, right? Yeah. And so before we start panicking about porn, maybe we should be panicking about YouTube. Oh, I'm panicked about yeah, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah, totally yeah, yeah. panicked about YouTube. Yeah. YouTube is a yeah. wild spiral that kids just like watch and watch and and they don't stop. I mean, it. adults <sighs> too. That's why that's why people aren't taking the vaccine. Is fucking YouTube? It's insane. Yeah. Or yeah, or you know, and or, you know, on Facebook, it doesn't matter which. A social media on. They're all doing the same thing, directing you into these areas. So we have a lot of vulnerable youth out there. We still have 
tremendous levels of sexism, misogyny, rape culture, queerphobia, transphobia, racism, and the kind of hypersexualization of women and girls of color. We have here in Canada, and I believe also in the United States, we have enormous problems around missing and murdered Indigenous women. Mm-hmm. And we're not having those conversations. So a lot of what I say, I often, you know, accept that I'm a little utopianistic. I'm not thinking about the average educated child because I'm not, because that is not the average. I'm thinking about an enlightened child or youth, one who isn't confronted with a, you know, high school football culture where the boys get to do whatever they want and the principal protects them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at all of the people for whom you know, I, I made that flippant comment about, you know, is it to help you get through university as if university is a given yeah. and accessible to so many mm-hmm. people. There's no resources out there for so many youth. Feels like we need like a safe education system something that okay youtube porn for kids no uh, no no. i mean something that's not like you know dominated by a puritanical idea of what you should talk about at school and that's not faith-based which we try to pretend like our education system in america isn't but it absolutely is Mm -hmm. but like we need pbs or something to give us some good shows that we could have and that we could use that aren't cringy you know and we need to recreate some spaces for flexibility and curiosity. You know, we have this amazing moment of activism around gender and sexual diversity that we also need to keep in this questioning phase because kids are looking for answers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I worry, it's like, okay, you're looking for certainty in an area that will always be in flux for yourself, your, your, your gender and your sexuality. It's so complicated and so over burdened by stigma. Yeah. Well, if I could back up a little. So we've been talking a lot about YouTube and these different platforms. Like, what are the protocols that they should theoretically be putting in place? I I mean, (laughs) here's the... I mean, it's so frustrating. I'm sorry, I'm staggering here because I'm really worried that the ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost bringing tears to my eyes thinking about what this means. I mean, like, just... You know, you mentioned the anti-vaxxers and stuff. I think we all know at least one person who has gone into what I incorrectly and somewhat flippantly referred to as a kind of ideological and or social media psychosis, you know, where they're just spiraling down into this confirmation bias. And, you know, at least here in Canada, you know, 20 years ago or so, our telecommunications regulatory agency just kind of threw up their hands and said, well, the internet is unregulatable. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not even going to try. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you regulate the crap mm-hmm. out of like everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's crazy mm-hmm. that they were just like, we can't. And now, now it's like insane. And the broadcast is still regulated and then everyone can just open their phones it's so bananas okay so you're worried you're worried that we're all (laughs) soft puns intended i really Uh. kind of am because what is required here is like once upon a time there was far more than a dedication to free speech or you know the realm of ideas and debate underneath that was a stronger commitment to facts evidence, Mm -hmm. truth even, you know, discussion about what does this mean, but some kind 
of evidentiary ground had to be there. Mm -hmm. And if broadcast news, you know, if CBS reported on something that was false, well, just ask Dan Rather what happens, Mm -hmm. right? But there's no consequences at all. It's insane, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to do about that. And one arena where this becomes really problematic is gender and sexuality. And in many ways, it becomes even more problematic because we're fighting so hard against the stigma. You know, it's so easy to say, I'm worried about, you know, a teenager heading onto YouTube and becoming an incel. I think, you know, for the most part, we're all in favor of that. But if we say, I'm worried about a youth going onto YouTube and making decisions about their sexual and their sex sexuality in public that might not be the best ones for them. It's like, oh, are you anti-sex? Are you anti-queer? Are you <laughs> anti-porn? It's like, yeah. mm-hmm. no, I'm none of those things. I'm actually pro all of that. <laughs> yes. But I'm just worried about a child who might not know themselves fully yet and be putting themselves out there in this way that's irretrievable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I think, as I said, by the time the porn camera is rolling, a lot of things have gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I just want to be clear. The porn camera rolling isn't necessarily wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're imagining. But there's a lot more, there's a lot of steps, a lot of steps to Mm -hmm. get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be the wrong step, but if it is the wrong step, there were a lot of wrong steps before that. Along the way. That's what I mean. Yeah. I'm not anti-porn because you can't have this conversation without going, are you anti-porn? No! <laughs> yeah, which I, I love that you mentioned, you know, because obviously you've like made your life in porn in a way, you know, so it's like clearly you're not anti-porn, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah, those who, those who can't do, those who can't. <laughs> <laughs> so I did want to pivot though. We mentioned this earlier and I think it's so fascinating, but can you tell our listeners about the whole med bikini scandal, which oh, is... Yeah you know, a a new topic, but very related. Yeah, I think it is really related because we have these easy words that we use to worry about what's going on in social media. We say sexualization or pornification. And to my mind, that is, those are such dangerous words because right away they're deeply stigmatizing, right? That, oh, what's happening is a pornification of culture. So we get to still blame porn, you know, instead of everything else going on, instead of sexism and misogyny. You know, we do live in this culture where, especially for young women, there's these competing exhortations. I've written about this. It really began in the 1950s with uh, building up into the sexual revolution. And it was, it's the double bind. On the one hand, you've got to be sexually enlightened enough to be desirable and fulfilling for a man. And on the other hand, you've got to be chaste enough that you're not damaged goods for a man, okay? And Mm -hmm. we still kind of frame young women's sexuality around its use value to the family unit and to patriarchy. Yeah. So we want women to be sexy, but not too sexy, attractive, but not too attractive, available, but not too available. Yeah. And how on earth you're supposed to figure out where that line is, is completely beyond me. Mm -hmm. 
I've never found it. And I'm now, as I said, I'm almost 55. So I have been ruled undesirable <laughs> by the patriarchy. Have you seen that uh, sketch, Last Fuckable Day? With yes, Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Exactly. <laughs> I just howled. Just so howled. good. So good. Yes. So Med Bikini is a great example of this. So what happened is some scholars miraculously, amazingly got ethics clearance from their university to do this study. They wanted to look at social media and professionalism amongst, I believe it was uh, vascular surgeons. And so they got clearance to troll and lurk on (laughs) vascular surgeons' social media pages. And they also then got their work published again, because like, it's just all like, you know, patriarchal white dudes gatekeeping academia. Mm-hmm. And they thought this was great research. <laughs> Basically, they focused on younger women in the field who had the temerity to go on vacation and post pictures of themselves from the beach, often with their families. And can you believe it? They wore bathing suits on the beach <laughs> no! what burkas not bathing suits oh well of course let's be honest if they'd worn a burkini then they would have been uh racistly targeted and harassed so you can't win right because no if you wear a no. burkini you're 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 oppressed if you're wearing a burkini yeah if you're wearing a bikini yes. you're oppressing me because i don't want to have yes. to be aroused by you i don't want to have to jerk off to your photo and yeah. now i am this is your Fault. Yeah, and I got a and I got a peer refereed publication out of it too, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So yes, we jerked off to a bunch of our colleagues' vacation photos, <laughs> and therefore they're um, unprofessional sluts, and they should know better. Give me tenure. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And it got published. So many of the women who had been stalked and then named in this article or identified. And also, I assume, did not consent to any of this. None. Like, you know, they reposted the pictures of themselves on their vacation with the hashtag medbikini and various statements to the general argument of go fuck yourself, creepy dudes. (laughs) I like that argument. I think it's a really solid one. Yeah, I think it is definitely would pass peer referee (laughs) if there were any women on the editorial board. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this has been happening for so long. I remember, you know, and I think this argument is actually still going on, which is crazy to me, but like that young girls can't wear, what is it, spaghetti strap tank tops because it's too distracting for the boys. And I'm like, did the boys (laughs) tell you this? Like what adult is making the decision that these bikini strap tank tops is bad? That's it. Yeah. Your, your, something is fucked up in your brain that you, that you think this is distracting. Oh, exactly. Like there's a great big mouth episode about exactly that. I just want to say everybody go watch it. It's really good. Oh yeah. No, it's exactly (laughs) that. So if you're out there in the world, you know, having the temerity to be To exist. Yeah, to (laughs) exist and to be reflecting on your sexuality. I mean, not even that you are now a vascular surgeon on vacation. You know, I'm talking about the 15-year-old who suddenly is seeing all this med bikini stuff (laughs) and heads or tails of it, right? Mm -hmm. 
But who are these gatekeepers、mm-hmm. who are on the one hand screaming, "Show us your tits," and then on the other hand, "You dirty slut, you showed me your tits."、Mm-hmm. You now、yeah. are getting fired、yeah. from your job. You now are getting kicked out of your house. It's all the way、yeah. fucked up, and I I think we have to do like a, a, a some kind of reversal. You know how, how Dare was bad because it taught kids how to do drugs, but didn't teach them like、yes. what the drugs actually do to you. It was just like it's gonna fry your、yeah. brain like this egg, and you're like, I love eggs. Yeah, and then <laughs> like my my high school. Did this thing where they brought in drug addicts in recovery to talk to us about drugs? Wow! Like they came and they just told you the truth, right? They were like, "I heroin is the best thing that could ever happen to you while you're on it, and it's the worst thing afterwards." And then you're like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, sometimes I would be on heroin and I would like think I." I was flying, but I was just standing still. And then my friend thought he was flying, and he jumped off a building and died. And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, that's terrible!" Yeah, yeah. I remember. I will never forget the my like drug teacher. I don't remember what this program was called, but his name was Will, and he stood by a whiteboard and was like writing things like stats and facts. And then he was like, "Well, when I was." In heroin withdrawals, and we were like, "What?" Like that's how we found out、wow. the people teaching us, but like, were in recovery and had actual, real experiences. experiences. Yeah, he was like, "Yeah, I, I didn't get off of my bed for three days straight because I thought that the devil was in my closet." And we were like, "What do you mean?" And he was like, "I peed、uh. and shat myself on my bed." He didn't say shat.、Oh、he didn't say shat because we were in school and it was a private hoity-toity school. But he was like, I peed and pooped on myself in my bed for three days because I was afraid that the devil was going to come out of my closet and get me. And we were like, What? What did it sound like? And then he put his head behind the the whiteboard and he was like, Will. And he was like beating the whiteboard with his hand. And we we're like, Holy shit, this is crazy. But like, it made me your school.、What? I know, right? This is a lot. Like, what? <laughs>、yeah. That was not my school. Yeah, you know, this is private school. You can do whatever you want, and as long as the parents don't threaten to take their money away, right? Well, then I think a bigger deal too is that they like equate heroin and weed, and it's just this—they're not the same experiences at all. No, no, they didn't—they didn't do that. We didn't even talk about weed. We only talked about real drugs that will actually fuck your life up. But you know what, Lindsay? You're talking about bringing in, you know, recovering drug addicts, bringing in experiential knowledge, and bringing in people who have. Of training and expertise, and have been vetted. We will never do that around sex、Sexy、work.、Time. Why?、Right? Why couldn't we bring in a sex worker? Like we should. I'm not saying we. That's what I think we need. We need <laughs> but that. But I'm saying we don't. We won't even talk to them. We were still doing abstinence-only education pretty recently. Here in Canada, we just recently. Had hearings on Pornhub because its parent company, MindGeek, is headquartered in Montreal. So we had these like nonsense parliamentary hearings about you know Pornhub and how it's bad. <laughs> and there's a lot bad with Pornhub, but you know this was just political shenanigans.、Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't bring. Sex workers in no、yeah. sex work agency representatives. They had to go onto social media and do a Twitter campaign and a phone campaign to the politicians on this、uh, parliamentary committee, saying this is ridiculous. Wow! Like you cannot pass policy without talking to us. 
And they're like, watch us, you, you know, because you don't know what you're doing. Cause if you knew what you're doing, you wouldn't be doing yeah. porn. It's like you've placed yourself outside <laughs> yeah. of society. And it's like, no society put me on the outside. I was just trying to live my fucking life. So eventually, finally they were brought in on the last day, mm. but it took so much. And you know who was invited on the first day? Religious leaders from the United States. <laughs> and like, we're Canada. We're not, we're a different country. <laughs> and uh. the people brought to Parliament to talk about what should we do with our laws were religious leaders from another country. Wait, mm. why? Because stigma. Yeah. <laughs> like, because we can't have a conversation. But like, they didn't even get locals? I'm so confused. I know. It was, it they was. They were like, let's was, find the craziest uh, people we can. It was something else. Um, it was just so frustrating. It's happened over and 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 over. And so we need to talk about this. Okay. So maybe I'm not saying let's bring working sex workers into the grade six classroom, <laughs> but you know, let's consult with people in porn before we develop the module on porn. Let's not partner with hysterical anti-trafficking organizations. No one's in favor of trafficking, I hope. But, you know, we bring in these organizations that are not based on any real evidence to announce that this is our, you know, this happened at my university. They announced this big, you know, gender equity strategy, didn't invite anybody from the gender and sexuality studies program uh, yeah, that makes and sense. it was head yeah. yeah and it was headlined by an quasi-religious anti-trafficking organization white uh, dude singer uh, like we're like what's going on singer that <laughs> that's not where i thought that was going yeah no me neither no they were an entertainer it was like okay fine i thought we were a university i thought we wanted evidence you know i thought we wanted to be rigorous nah that's silly yeah we want to scold women for wearing bikinis in hawaii and um make sure that none of our students in university have sex yikes well, I'm wondering if these religious leaders who were brought in for this hearings and, and this religious singer guy, did they by chance bring up the fact that like Jesus married a sex worker? Because that seemed like a great time to bring that up, you know? Yes! I would be like, hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> so now, no, wait, hold on. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Now I've got to put on my nun hat. So my very first book was on nuns in popular culture and Catholic women religious like down through the ages. So the mythology that Mary Magdalene was a sex worker was started third, fourth century to discredit her oh. and to remove her from the apostles wow. because they were all gay and jealous that Jesus was in love with her and not them. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, truly. <laughs> so not to go down this theological lane, but if we could recognize from the moment of birth that this little tiny house plant that is breathing oxygen in front of us will have a gender and a sexuality and it will evolve and grow and experiment and change and exist and that we should accept that and we should be prepared for it and that we should be able to educate and advise and counsel and support and grow with this child's gender and sexuality mm -hmm. wouldn't that be awesome but we don't do that. But one day we will. And Allie, this is why I'm going to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I ever 
did have one, it would just be to teach them to be an ethical slut. But, um, yeah. So we could talk to you forever, but we can't. So are there any final thoughts you could leave our listeners with in terms of how we can help move the needle? It seems like we have a very long way to go, given how many forces are working against us. But what are some things that listeners can do? You know, I think number one is, you know, you start early and often having conversations around gender and sexuality with all of the youth in your area. You call out stigma in all of its forms, even, you know, lightly joking, hey, Mary Magdalene was a sex worker. It's like, yeah, actually not. Mm. You know, it's like, yeah hold on, let's, let's just try and unpack it all. So we hold ourselves accountable. I know that sounds sort of big and little all at the same time. We call out those who try to call out women who wear bikinis on vacation. We hold people accountable for benefiting off of stigma. And we don't let off the gas. We are making progress. We are getting somewhere and we recognize and respect sex workers the same way you recognize and respect your favorite barista at whatever (laughs) coffee shop you go to in the morning. If you can treat your barista with respect and pay them, you can do the same for your favorite sex worker and we'll get there. And in the meantime, there will be a lot of kids who will make mistakes because you get to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You should make mistakes. So some of those mistakes will be sexual and some of them will be caught on camera. And when those mistakes happen, we treat them as just, you know, lessons along the way. I love that. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a blast. Thank you. This was really fascinating and lovely. And I think you provided exactly the lens that we were hoping for on this discussion. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, yeah, there's just so much to unpack. And I learned that Mary Magdalene wasn't actually a sex worker, but I still think she and Jesus were married. So (laughs) whatever. I'm so excited to, you know, have those few little things that we can all like ask ourselves as we're moving through the world of internet porn. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm like a big, I have like a very fixer attitude. Like, ah, I want to like solve problems, but I really like the way she scales out and is like, there's so many broader issues of stigma and the way women are like, be sexual and alluring, but also super chaste, you know? And it's like Mm -hmm, how all of these mm -hmm. things kind of manifest and ripple outwards. It's yeah. I loved everything Rebecca said, but the but the one other thing is pay for it. And it immediately made me think about the larger media problem that she touched on and you all touched on. And I share Rebecca's hopelessness about the advertising powered algorithms that only serve advertisers. They don't serve uh, you know, viewers and they don't serve yeah. content creators at all. But mm-hmm. If you pay for it, like Ali, you joked, like, what if we just put sex ed on on YouTube? And I think that is sort of the answer, except you can't make a living or money from that because advertising will not support it. So if we want it, we need to pay for it. So and I think Rebecca said this, is that a PBS thing? Is there a Patreon thing? Is there an educational funding well, thing? Well, the PBS where it's like, thing is very interesting, right? Because like, yeah. does YouTube need to? 
I don't know. I'm a big fan of like, I think the government needs to come in and regulate the shit out of this, except for that we have an old white man government who doesn't understand the internet. Um, but yeah, like PBS, public broadcasting, like it, should also, YouTube be required PBS was my to idea. have. I just wanted to say it oh, was good. my idea, no big deal, okay. but like I brought up PBS. Okay. Okay, great. No, you know, take credit for your ideas, woman. But the PBS okay. model <laughs> but, I mean, is like the that way. model of yeah. like, should YouTube be required to sort of take really own its status as a media company? And no, therefore, not even that. I'm saying take uh, the regulation part of it aside. I, I agree with you, but we don't even have to do that yet because the PBS model of this is free for everyone, but if some mm-hmm. people throw in some money. We can keep we can uh, Mr. Rogers on yeah. the air and make it better and sustainable. Yeah. That is already happening on the internet today. It's called uh, patreon.com slash 2G1P. We don't make uh-huh. any money from this little program, but if you want to keep it going, and that's not a that's Patreon.com not a plug. slash 2G1P. There are so many creators on the internet, <laughs> not mm-hmm. porn, but like- who, In general. You, they cannot make a living from advertising. It just does not work. But they still keep going because of uh, fan fo- that direct, as Rebecca said, pay for it. And that model can totally apply to sex work as well. That's what OnlyFans is for. And so, yeah. I don't know. That really resonated with me as someone who studies uh, media, culture, and all that, all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to navigate, but we have to try. Like, we can't mm-hmm. just be like, well, it's too hard. You know, so... And, you know, I liked what she said about just talking to the young people in your life. It's difficult, especially if it's not your kids. But, you know, just try to be honest with the children who are around you. And if their parents are people that you know, and you you can talk to them in that way as well. Be like, look, you know, maybe your kid was asking about this. Maybe you want to talk to them about that. Or I'm happy to talk to them if you're not ready. But, you know, they're interested in in. I can do it or you can do it, but somebody needs to do it. Yeah. It's interesting how archaic our society really is in so many ways. Like we like to think that we're so advanced. Like I think that aliens have visited Earth, but they've seen us and they're like, we're not touching that yet. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're going to wait. I think aliens made us and they came back and saw what we did to well, the wolves Lindsay, you when we made them into pugs. Because we episode actually covered five that. five or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go back. Go back in the catalog. So, yeah. I you knew. Li- <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope listeners found that as interesting as we did, especially since we have done so many episodes on different fetishes and porn. And it's just fascinating to think about that bird's eye view. Um, In completely unrelated news, guys, Matt forwarded me the email and Nick's pretty cute. (gasps) Oh my gosh, did I I get it too? I don't disappoint. Oh my gosh, did I get it too? What do I do now? What do I do? What do I do? (laughs) Stay tuned for next week when I figure out what to do. All right, if you enjoyed today's episode, please visit us on Patreon, (gasps) patreon.com slash 2G1P. What did you just look, Lindsay? (laughs) Oh my He's God, Nick can yeah. get it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was not expecting that. I was like, okay, Nick. <laughs> Truly, I wasn't is either. working out. Um, anyway, uh, Lindsay's also accepted well, applications. Um, and Matt's looking for a second wife. No, just kidding. That's not cool. Um, okay. <laughs> so anywho, patreon.com slash 2G1P. I know that we're not porn, but you could still support 
us directly. <laughs> Lindsay's not wearing a shirt right now. <laughs> Truly, so anyway, I am not. Yeah, patreon.com slash 2G1P. You can also send us an email just like my new boyfriend, Nick. That is <laughs> 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can also call us and leave us a voicemail just like Andrea did and talk about how much you love the sound of Lindsay's voice. That number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6548. You can also join our Discord where I will be sharing photos of Nick. Just kidding, Nick. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Discord.gg slash 2G1P. Also, you know, a mere two to three years in, we finally started a Facebook group. So please check that out so that those discussions can start popping off. Search for Two Girls, One Podcast on Facebook. Thanks so much and support ethical porn. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Lindsay Ford and Allison Goldberg. Then uploaded as an exclusive video to OnlyFans. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing by Avital Ayler. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Nick, can you get it? (laughs) 